0: I do invite you to turn to Genesis 6 this morning. Genesis 6. And just for our online folks, we're going to be serving communion next week, participating in communion. So if you can't be here, we would invite you to have elements ready next week to participate. And the children are leaving now. If you're, if you're, there they go. I'm I'm getting better at reminding them to go. There they go. Everywhere, everywhere, there are persons and groups bent on destroying a good creation. Killing and mutilating living beings, exploiting a bountiful earth, crippling and weakening precious bodies. The world as we observe it is shot through with evil. Welcome to church today. Those are the words of Eugene Peterson in his book, *Reversed Thunder, which I'd encourage you to get. It's a book about the book of Revelation, actually. The world, is, we observe as it is, is shot through with evil. So where do we begin? John Mark Comer said these words. Love is the desire not to take, but to give. It's the settled intention of the heart to promote good in the life of another. Now, we do not associate love with evil. In fact, the evil that we face in this world at times may throw us And our faith like a judo master to the mat of life. As we stare at evil and we're left with questions, it can throw us to life's mat. But why do I start with a quote about love when we're going to talk about evil and the flourishing God? I start here because of a truth that's not dependent upon whether or not life is what you think is good or if life is all turned upside down or it's not dependent on whether it seems like good is winning or if evil is prevailing in all of its fury. Here is this one constant truth. One constant. Constant truth. In 1 John 4. And so we know and rely on the love of God that God has for us. God is love. Say that with me. God is love. It doesn't say love is God. It doesn't say love is love. It says God is love. Hear that. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. Maybe you can hear it this way. Love is the settled intention of the heart to promote good in the life of another. This is God's settled intention of the heart, the very character, the very being of God, to promote the well-being of another Maybe you can hear it this way. No matter what, God is always leading with love. Always. And so today, let's consider one way God leads with love in an evil world. How the God who leads with love is still the flourishing God in an evil world. Especially when it seems like there is no flourishing. a dad in our church sent me a text uh, about 12 days ago now. And he found a snake in his garage. And he took a picture of the snake and he sent it to me. And then he showed it to his son, Liam. And then this conversation ensued. Liam said to his dad, did you kill it? Dad, no. No. Because it's God's creature, and I felt bad. Liam. Well, Pastor Jeff told us nothing good happens when a serpent comes around. (laughs) I thought, (laughs) when I got that text, I thought, hallelujah, there was one person who heard my sermon. (laughs) Liam's awesome sharp kid. I told him, yeah. Well, that's where we left off. (laughs) In the garden, with human beings choosing to try to be God rather than love God, choosing self-rule rather than God's gracious, benevolent rule. And what we see, when we last were in Genesis 3, it's a downhill progression from there. What happens is, we see one of the worst murders you could have, fracticide, brother killing brother, Cain killing Abel. And it just tumbles down. It's like a snowball from there, tumbling down. And that's where we land in Scripture today. In Genesis chapter 6, this is the word of the Lord. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And the next words that come after that, which aren't on the slide, are these. The Lord regretted, hear that, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. And it repeats that. It's a bone-chilling description. And in reading the Bible, here's what we discover when it comes to evil. We discover it doesn't offer us a neat and tidy explanation of evil. It doesn't even really offer us a neat and tidy way to get rid of evil. This is what we get. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And to write put it this way evil is really the absence or deprivation of good. Evil is then the moral and spiritual equivalent of a black hole. Wow, what a word picture. That is, a powerful image. Evil is like a black hole where good has been displaced, where well-being has been withheld, where where power is used to control and manipulate and kill and crush and gain advantage and destroy. And when we read that, we all want to say, well, you know what, preacher? Tell me something I didn't already know. Evil. Evil. One reason I believe in God and the Bible as God's word is the way it portrays mankind's capacity for choosing evil. No rose-colored glasses. Read the Bible. There's no rose-colored glasses version where everything is happily ever after when it comes to the human heart apart from God. It's one reason why I believe in God and the Bible. It's bloodshot honest and real. Other reasons I believe in God, though, are this. I believe in God because of beauty in the midst of evil's destruction. I believe in God because it is possible to choose love over the evil of hate. I believe in God because of the reality that recognizing that the evil world is not right. I believe in God because of compassion rather than the evil of indifference and selfishness. And I believe in God because of the power to choose good and to do good rather than evil. Evil. Rather an appropriate Sunday morning, to use that word, You know, tomorrow is a number of holidays. It's Halloween, so it's appropriate to use the word evil. It's also Reformation Day tomorrow. It's the day in 1517 when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door of the Wittenberg Church, right? And it's interesting to me that on that day you have the holiday called halloween which is really represented by evil in our culture or representative of and reformation sunday because you see yes the scripture holds this very real picture of evil but it also holds out an unceasing vision of flourishing in the midst of all of life so how does God insert his goodness into the black hole of evil? Well, I'm glad you asked that. I'd like you to meet someone. His name is Noah. Now everyone, believer, agnostic, or atheist, everyone has a working knowledge of Noah. Right? Mention Noah, and you're going to think, rain, right? large boat, and I think of Mrs. Noah saying, Noah, what are we going to do with all these animals? Right? Like, it's, it's an intense thing. But everybody has some working knowledge of Noah. But this is really important. When evil was at its first apex, and I mean that very quite honestly and literally, its first apex among many apexes that we see in history because this is the first one. In the middle of that apex of evil, God is not absent. God is not distracted. The God who leads with love, the God who seeks to promote well-being, was paying attention, and he had a plan to preserve his vision for flourishing in the world. And the plan was a man, and his name was Noah. In Genesis chapter 6, we read these words but noah found favor in the eyes of the lord and then verse 9 says noah was a righteous man blameless among the people of his time and he walked faithfully with god now history has shown history has shown that the flourishing god has repeatedly broken through the world's evil to bring about his good time and again Did you know that the fall of the Berlin Wall was primarily a spiritual revival? That was the end result of constant prayer meetings and Christians actually standing up for good. I mentioned to you that when I was in Florida, I saw all kinds of destruction. We also saw evil, a body shop that was crumbled in the storm someone went in and took their welder their welders and their and their compressors and their tools 32 years in the business they may not be able to open back up and they maybe are saying is it worth doing why because evil came in after a storm the storm wasn't the evil it was what people did with it but then we also saw god inserting himself remember i mentioned during prayer that woman deb this assistant bank manager her daughter Ashley is a landscaper in Tallahassee and once she was able to she got a trailer full of supplies and drove it down there with with water and food and cleaning stuff and all kinds of this just, just on her own went down there and then she went into a part of the neighborhood that she was familiar with where there were people who didn't have resources. Some of them were living in trailers that had been just devastated and there were people going around, there's one in particular man, a really big guy going around and going up to people on fixed incomes, elderly people, and letting them know that he was there to help them and that he would be glad to clear out their yards for $5,000. And this woman came in there, and she was cleaning out yard after yard after yard after yard for free and told it to that man in front of a woman he was trying to scam You see, that's evidence of Psalm 27, 13, which reminds us, I am confident of this, that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Amen? And that's why we turn to Noah. And we see what God determines to do about evil. If you want to know what God wants to do about evil, look at Noah. Remember, we're at an apex of evil. You see, we want to assume that the primary response of God to evil is to remove the evildoers. Just take them out. Remember, that was James and John's idea when he was walking with Jesus, and they just said, hey, why don't we just take out those Samaritans? Let's just pour, you know, destruction upon them. And it's easy to think that. In fact, we could wrongfully draw that conclusion from Noah's Ark, that God's plan was let's just Clean out the house. Let's clean house. Start all over. But that's not the story. God leads with a different plan. A plan for maintaining his will and desire for creation. So what is the flourishing God's response to an evil world? Well, let's go back in time where we started this series weeks ago. We return to the account of the creation of mankind. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. And that word rule could actually be translated steward. Rule. God saw all that he made, and it was very good. Let us make mankind in our image. I got a job for him, and God saw that it was very good. Very good. Why? Because God has given us power. We have power. We have human agency. This is what's unique to us aside from every other aspect of creation power to grow, power to abound, power to create, power to imagine, power to choose. But power can be majestically beautiful or malevolently evil. You choose. If you go back to where we started today, we talked about that quote from John Mark Comer, and he's talked basically about love is not about taking, but about giving. And, and all the world, including us in this room, are divided into two categories. We're either a taker or we're a giver. We're either a taker or a giver. Same thing when it comes to evil. We either use our power for something majestically beautiful, or we use power for something malevolently evil your choice what do we do with our power right what do we do with our choices this is such an important thing for us Andy Crouch said this if you remember I quoted this a few weeks ago power is for flourishing the image bearers do not exist for their flourishing alone but to bring the whole creation to its fulfillment this is how Walter Brueggemann put it shalom is not only an incredible gift it is the most demanding mission So, you see, Noah's primary focus here isn't to save his family's hide. His focus is to maintain the possibility of God's desire and intention for creation. He is maintaining the possibility of God's flourishing in the world. And when you look at Noah through that lens, suddenly you see yourself. You see one another. We see each other. We see people like us who are also called to bring his flourishing to great conditions for God's goodness. Back to 1 John 4, we read these words. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Because God leads with love, It is as those who follow God become extensions of his love that his plan for flourishing is activated, even in an evil world. One writer put it this way, love is purposeful action in relation to God and others that aims to do good. Love advances well-being, It fosters flourishing, abundant life, and blessedness. To love is to act intentionally in response to God and others, to promote overall well being. God's love always works for the good because God is love, always. And so are his people to be. Isn't that what 1 Corinthians 13 is about? We like using it at weddings, it's not intended to be the best poem for weddings. But look what it says. Love does not delight in evil. Love does not delight in evil. Anytime we give any affirmation to wrongdoing and evil, we're not loving. We're not being what God wants us to be. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Here are those verbs. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Action oriented. This is so far from this idea of love we have that's rather kind of uh, mushy. That's a technical term. But here's the deal like Noah, God is looking for cooperative partners. He wants to advance his good in the world. This reckless love of God who's scattering the seeds of the gospel of grace and mercy and truth and justice and righteousness and holiness and love. This God who's just scattering these seeds. Just, this sanctuary is just filled with the seeds that God is scattering upon us. And there's more Bible knowledge in this sanctuary than you can contain in a lifetime scattered upon us. But God is looking for cooperative partners in advancing his good. Hear it again. His good in the world. And Noah is someone who cooperated with God's plan. And he did this. He cooperated with God's plan to pursue, preserve, and promote the flourishing that God desires for humankind. Noah's primary focus was that. Genesis 6, Noah did everything just as God commanded him, the Bible says. So Noah went along with God's will and way, even though I'm sure, I'm sure it did not make sense to him. I'm sure it wasn't easy. Think, just think about this. I am sure that he was the subject of ridicule. And I'm sure they thought he was weird. But we read a second time in Genesis 7, And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. The entire Ark project, the program managers for the Ark project, had one goal in mind. It was about pursuing, preserving, and promoting flourishing in a world that refused to pursue, preserve, and promote God's flourishing in the world. When you read that statement of evil in Genesis chapter 6, You need to see it. I need to see it. That this was a world that refused to pursue, preserve, and promote God's flourishing in the world, which is what God ultimately wants for all people and all the world. So, in some ways, the ark was basically a floating Garden of Eden, restoring God's intention. The entire scene teaches us this, that when human beings refuse to cooperate with God's desires for flourishing, that's when evil happens. But the opposite is also true. When we cooperate with God in the world, good happens. We become God's representative, cooperating with God to extend his goodness in the world around us. All right, so since we are very pragmatic people, what do we do first? If I said to you, what's the first thing to do if you're going to promote God's goodness in the world and just start thinking in your head, this is the first thing I do? Most of us would get out like our, our bullet point list and we'd say, okay, let's go do this. What's the first thing we're supposed to do? Well, the first thing is we're to return to our fundamental calling. And this is our fundamental calling. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and, what does it say? Follow Jesus. I know, some of us are waiting to do something. Well, I'm going to tell you what you first need to do, what I first need to do. This is going to sound counterintuitive, but the whole gospel flips things upside down. The first calling is not to create flourishing. It is not to restore or form, reform or revive anything. It's not to fix, save, or change anyone. It's not to rescue our families, the church, or the country. Our first calling, in fact, is not to do anything about evil. As Hugh Welchel writes, the first call is to follow Jesus out of the darkness into light, out of death into life. How eloquently the Apostle Paul wrote, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live, live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, flourishing. And find out what pleases the Lord. Start there. You see, here's a question we all need to ask ourselves. Who's discipling you? What's discipling you? Are you being discipled by the culture? Are you being discipled by Christ? What is it that's forming and shaping you? That's, that's the first question we need to ask ourselves. That's a critical question we need to pose. Because here's the second question Am I really actually growing as a disciple? Listen, you can stack up all the Bible studies you want. You can find the best Bible studies. I can give you a list of the churches around here, and you can go attend to all the different churches. I can, I can give you a list of great online resources. I have stacks in my, in my study of books that I would recommend, highly recommend to you, books that have changed my life. But none of that is automatically mean growing. By actively growing as a disciple of Jesus and seeking his kingdom, seeking him, we can make impact in our everyday, even in the midst of evil. If we are not focused on that primary calling, it is very easy to be driven by our own misguided, even well-intentioned agendas and positions and plans and politics, more so than devotion to God. I don't know if you caught it, but there was this one qualification of all ark builders. One qualification of an ark builder. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He walked faithfully with God. Now that does not mean that Noah was some great spiritual superstar or that he lived perfectly. He was just an ordinary person. I see Noah going like this. Ugh, I miscut that piece of wood. Right? Oh, those aardvarks. They're just, oh, driving me nuts. Right? Are you just an ordinary guy. Look, read the, read the account. You don't see him, like, parting the Red Sea. You don't see him healing somebody. No miracles. You don't see him doing some great, demonstration of power. And if you read the whole story of Noah, he had moments where, let's say, to say the least, he struggled and he flailed in his life with God. But that should give us hope. God wants to use the ordinary, imperfect, in-progress us as we are focused on following him. And that is so hopeful for us. We who have been scarred by evil, personally, locally, globally, but God chooses to fill the black hole of evil through us. I want you to think differently about the whole idea of salvation. Those beautiful words from Ephesians that speak to us, Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Beautiful. But the next words, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, if that's who you claim to be, if that's who I claim to be, It's because of our encounters, experiences, and transformation of and through God's grace that we are co-creators with God in bringing flourishing to the world, which begins with actually encountering Jesus Christ, not just having some experience or some religious knowledge but actually encountering the living Christ, it comes from what Jesus is doing in us. And so the answer to evil is to seek to live fully and faithfully for Christ and to long for what God wants to ultimately do in making all things right. And in that longing, seek to live out that reality now by joining God and bringing flourishing to our corner of the world, life right now. So what does that really look like? How does this really inform my cooperation with God? Well, what does it mean then? What choices do I make when it comes to dealing with racial discrimination? Do I just assign it to some news channel debate? What does it really mean for me as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus? What about the evil of the political rhetoric of our day where the temperature is so hot that we're killing each other and hurting each other. We in the church, we, us, my heart is broken and grieved over this as I've watched family members, my own torn apart, and probably yours too. What does it mean? In the evil, and it's evil. What does it mean for me? Ask Kathleen how many tears I've shed over this. What about the economic disparities? It's just a reality. It's not a political thing. What is my role now? What am I to do? What does that good look like? What do you think Operation Christmas Child is about? Right, Carol? It's about filling the black hole of evil with good. What do you think those crisis care kits are about? Or those Thanksgiving baskets, what are those about? Or Lloyd Curtis being here powerfully preaching a couple weeks ago and the new endeavors that are happening in the rescue mission, what is that about? Or in two weeks when Bonnie Gatchel is here from Route 1 Ministries where we stare at one of the most evil things in our world, human trafficking. What is all this about? It's about filling the black hole of evil with good because of what Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life has done in our lives. Because we're captivated by the love of a reckless God, it seems, who's throwing it to us. That we're so preoccupied with what it means to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbors, ourselves, that we're not going to allow ourselves to be torn apart by so much that we allow ourselves to be torn apart by. That we're going to make sure that we're discipled more by the Scripture and the Word of God than by Fox News or CNN or any other outlet. Yes, I'm pretty passionate about this. I am. I don't, I don't ask you to forgive me for that. But as I read this story, my mind and heart are captivated. I want to be a Noah. It says in Genesis 9, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful. As for you, be fruitful. I think that's what he's saying to me. He's saying to you, be fruitful. Flourish in this world. Be fruitful. And he's not talking about some self-indulgent flourishing. He's talking about being rich in God. And isn't that what we're all called to? To be fruitful? Jesus said it, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You need Jesus, I need Jesus to produce this. Paul writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's not something I manufacture by my good plan to do good deeds. It's something that's birthed in the power of the Spirit by my surrender to Christ. And he begins to fabricate those fruit within me. You see, that's the great desire of God. For us to be fruitful, to flourish, and to bear that fruit that is needed to close the black hole of evil with the fullness of God's goodness. God's been so good to you and me, right? God is good. All the time. Right, all the time, God is good. So, how will you cooperate with God for His flourishing in an evil world? Remember, love is the desire not to take but to give. It's the settled intention of the heart to grow good in the life. Of another. And every Sunday, I stand under, and you look up at the ultimate symbol of the God who gives. And that's how the flourishing God addresses evil. In our world. In the name of Jesus, let us go in peace. You're dismissed.